Hello, and welcome to Expect More of Law, the podcast. I'm Professor Tanya Lehman, Dean of Law at Flinders University, and I'm delighted to be hosting this podcast celebrating law at Flinders University. In this podcast series, I'll be presenting inspirational interviews with current students and graduates who share their experiences about where their law studies have taken them across the spectrum of legal professions and industries. We'll take a deep dive into the current challenges faced by legal practitioners and present industry insights into the future of law. I hope these fearless voices inform and inspire you just as they have me. Hello everybody, my name is Tanya Lehman, I'm the Dean of Law here at Flinders and this is uh, another one in our series of interviews with Flinders Law alumni and I'm really delighted today to be joined by Victoria Shute. Victoria, would you like to introduce yourself? Thanks Tanya, I'm Victoria Shute and I'm an Associate Director and Shareholder of Kelly Jones Lawyers, a boutique specialist law firm based in Adelaide. Thank you. So when did you graduate? 2005. So let me take take you right back to that decision that led up to 2005. What was it that inspired you to study law initially? Initially, I think I had it in the back of my mind for a very long time that I was interested in law. I liked the idea of learning about the law and studying law and being a lawyer. I didn't know anything about studying law and what that entailed, but Thankfully, I got to university, really enjoyed studying law and have enjoyed legal practice. So yeah, it was one of those things. I don't have an express reason why, but I can tell you why I went to Flinders mm-hmm. and I've got David Bamford, who's oh, yes. now retired to thank for that. And I met David at a careers fair when I was in year 11 and needing to think about universities and where to go. And he was great. He was practical. He told me all about the Flinders ethos and their focus on practical training, giving students the practice with role playing, dealing with clients, giving them a wide set of skills when they graduated, which compared to some of the other people spruiking at the time was just, it just just spoke volumes to me. So I've got David to thank very much for where I am today. And so that's Professor David Bamford, who was the Dean of Law at Flinders from uh, 2007 to 2012. So just thinking back on your time studying law, highlights that come to mind? Oh, look, made some fantastic friendships that have lasted over the past 17, well, longer than that, sort of 21 years Mm -hmm. since I started law. But also I think giving me some skills that have really served me well in my career. I think giving me a realistic expectation of what to expect from legal practice as well as you know, all of the different career options that are out there for lawyers and law graduates. And also, I think for people like me that um, enter law as, as a high school graduate, it's such an important time of your life. So much growth, maturity, coming on board, becoming an adult, and that went hand in hand for me and, and many of my friends from law school with being at Flinders and being in the law school. It's just uh, such an overwhelmingly positive experience. Oh, wonderful to hear. So lots of life transitions during that time. So can you just give us a brief overview of your career journey since you graduated? Yeah, wow. It's been an interesting journey. I, I had my heart set on when I graduated being a corporate and commercial lawyer. Mm-hmm. I studied a BA as well as my law degree and I did Chinese language. Went to China, spoke quite fluently. So I was pretty much dead set on doing corporate and commercial law and using my Chinese. 
the global financial crisis had a role to play in my career development and I graduated and was admitted to practice and I didn't have a job at the time and was looking around and applying for lots of different opportunities both here and interstate and I came across an advertisement for the Environment Resources and Development Court Mm. for a judicial associate And I had applied at the district and Supreme Courts for judicial associate roles as well and saw this one and thought I did do environmental law as an elective, really enjoyed it and thought, well, look, I'll apply for that job. It's it's an area of interest, keeping keeping an open mind to opportunities out there. Mm -hmm. And from there, yes, I've I've been an environmental and planning building safety lawyer from there on in. So that started 2006 and I haven't looked back. So a serendipitous opportunity, really. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell us about your current role. Okay, so I am at Kelly Jones Lawyers. This year we celebrated our 10th year mm-hmm. of existence and we started with the intention to create a specialist local government law practice. And the firm was an offshoot of a larger multi-practice, multidisciplinary firm in Adelaide. And... We found just in practice that local government clients are pretty niche, pretty Mm -hmm. unique. They get involved in legal matters across the whole spectrum of the law. So when we think about what areas that our firm practices in, we exclude the areas that we don't. So it's truly everything except indictable offences, family law Mm -hmm. and wills and estates. So everything else. Everything else. Everything else Mm. our clients are involved in. And it's very relationship-based. So... People who work in councils and and local government entities because they often have subsidiaries, business units, other forms of structures that they create, they are very sophisticated clients. Mm -hmm. They tend Mm -hmm. to use panels of law firms. Mm -hmm. They know very, very quickly whether they like the the style of the advice and Mm. representation that you're giving them. It's a highly competitive market and Getting to know your clients and the broader environment in which they operate is quite unique to them. So it made sense to have a boutique specialist firm that says we're looking after local government clients first. We get them. We get all of the competing areas of the law that affects them, as well as community perceptions, oversight bodies, administrative law and all the other layers of regulation that they face. And it's it's done very, very well. So we started off with five lawyers initially. We've more than doubled in the 10 years and just going from strength to strength. Mm. So it's, it's been fantastic, a fantastic journey. So can you just give us a, a snapshot of the sorts of matters that might come across your desk or through your inbox in an average week? Absolutely. So I've, my um, focus areas in my practice are, as I said before, planning, building safety, environmental, but that covers off on and crosses over with administrative law, property law and other areas where you think that you know, the use of land or building land might um, have some relationship with. So in in any given week, I might be instructed on planning appeals to the ERD court. I might receive instructions um, to prosecute somebody under the Planning Development and Infrastructure Act or the Local Nuisance and Litter Control Act for serious offences under those acts. I might be asked, as I was this afternoon, to assist with what's called a Section 270 review under the Local Government Act, which is essentially a merits review of a decision. Mm, um, and it's mm. it's with, I guess, applying administrative law principles. Mm. Um, and it's often the first step before a person who's dissatisfied with a council decision is then, their next step is to the ombudsman 
or, you know, what was formerly the Independent Commissioner Against Corruption. So it's very, very varied and and very exciting, actually. So, Yeah. yeah. So with the growth in the complexity in our cities, in our suburbs, in our local government areas, and the way that law intersects with so much of our lives, is this an area of growth, do you think, for for lawyers or for law firms? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a real, it is a very large growth area. Mm-hmm. And I think that's driven by a number of factors. First of all, councils are, be, are being given more and more regulatory responsibility. Mm. So in the past few years, we've seen councils being given the responsibility to deal with a lot of environmental nuisances that used to lie strictly with the EPA. Yeah. The Environment Protection Authority. So they have the responsibility to deal with noise nuisance, mm. dust, smoke, mm. odour, those sorts of things where, yes, they are a civil nuisance, but also the regulatory authority was pre- previously just the EPA. There is some discussion about giving broader powers, light spill and other forms mm. of nuisances to councils as well. Also, community expectations are much higher yes. of, of government authorities the level of oversight that they're exposed to, and also the the level of service delivery that's expected from them. So, you know, for members of the community, if they are dissatisfied with a council decision, there's often a positive obligation upon a council to tell them what their rights are in terms of taking a matter further, making a complaint, whenever they issue perhaps an an enforcement notice or a statutory power, sort of an order or notice which requires somebody to make good a breach of the Act, they are required to inform them of appeal rights, Mm. of where they might go if they disagree Mm. with what's in that notice or order. So it's just continually growing and growing, Mm. like I said, both from being given more responsibility from the state government, but also in terms of community expectations and what the community's rights are when they're interacting with the council. Yes, and as our living becomes more dense and, and we've got medium and high density uh, developments in various uh, council areas, I guess there's more people to have more concerns. And so that also raises issues in terms of how people get on with each other and objections to developments and and other council works. Are you seeing that sort of? Absolutely, come? absolutely. I think higher densities of residential development that we're experiencing in Adelaide, particularly over the past decade, has gone hand in hand, interestingly, and, so, and somewhat contradictory with people, neighbours speaking less and less to each other. So quite often the council can be the first port of call if there's a dispute between neighbours. But also in terms of inconvenience, so if there is a a development that involves road closures and matters which might cause um, some inconvenience to people going about their day-to-day lives, often, you know, the question is asked, did they do that lawfully? Was the decision to close a road done lawfully? Mm. Or even my neighbour has demolished a home and is building an apartment building, has everything been done by the book? I guess adding a little bit of complexity as well is that in terms of building safety with the apartment fires that happened in London Mm, um, and in Melbourne quite recently, there's a huge amount of expectation from not only state regulators but also federally for councils to be working with fire authorities to identify buildings at risk and to deal with them where where they need to be renovated or, or have cladding removed and replaced. So there's another pressure there for our clients to really 
be taking a lot of time to undertake investigations, to take regulatory action to fix problems. And of course, that that necessarily comes with cost and other implications for apartment owners and, build, mm. and community corporations, building yeah. owners, yeah. Yeah. who then have to fund the costs of those works. So that then brings in complaints to oversight bodies, investigations, and a lot of litigation in that space as well. Thinking of studying more? Expect more. More focus on your future. More support. More skills and more professional placements. Expect more of law. Apply to Flinders today. So what I'm hearing from your comments now are that so many of the ways that we live together in community are actually supported by the hidden infrastructure of the sorts of advice that you're giving to councils. And most of us are never aware of it, but actually that that understanding and the capacity to advise about those areas of the law is is critical really in helping our communities live together well it it really is and i think what i've discovered in in this area being in this area of practice for quite some time is that a lot of people don't realize what a council does other than picking up the, the rubbish or, <laughs> or paying rates or perhaps dealing with some graffiti or using the libraries but their range of responsibilities is immense and the level of sophistication that they have to operate at is, is just absolutely mind-blowing. So and in, that, in their context of being an arm of government, subject mm. to administrative law, as well as you know, independent oversight and all of the layers of regulation that they have to work through, they are working very, very hard behind the scenes, as are their legal advisors, mm. to make sure mm. that they're getting everything right. And they are making some decisions that really directly pe- affect people's lives. So co- with that sort of power comes a lot of responsibility. So, you know, every day, I gave you a bit of a snapshot before, but every day I come into the office is entirely different. You hear a lot of stories mm. um, about, mm. you know, where people have have got to and where they've ended up and how they've got themselves maybe into you know on the on the wrong side of the law when it yeah. comes to dealing with yeah. the council yeah. but also conversely a lot of our clients come to us with really creative ideas and with a brief to go we want to make x happen but we're not too sure how to get there and to manage all of our and balance all of our different legislative roles and responsibilities to achieve that objective so Every day is different and mm. every day is, you know, newly and refreshingly exciting, which is wonderful, absolutely so, wonderful. So a very varied practice across a range of practice areas. So just thinking back, is there something that stands out to you as a real highlight or an intellectual, you know, peak that you had to, to climb or something that you were really, really proud of if you look back at the last 10 years in your practice there? Oh, goodness. Look, I I think I've got a lot of pride out of the cases that I've run as advocate, as counsel in the ERD court and and a few in the Supreme Court. So, you know, in in practice, the way that our clients work and the jurisdictions that they're often having disputes in, the expectation is, is that the solicitor running the file will also be take on the barrister's role. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's the decision to brief out is not made as commonly as it would be for private clients. So I've had a lot of achievements, personal ones in the ERD court, mm-hmm. and, and you, never for, you never forget your first appearance. <laughs> <laughs> but also the work that we uh, do as a firm has led me to pick up, because we do look after member bodies and non-profits as well. So 
we've taken on a client undertaking that we will never act contrary to the interests of any council. So if there's any form of a matter which would put us at odds with any council, we decline. But that opens us up to do work for member organisations and non-profits. So we've got a, a couple of national member organisations that we do work for. One of them is the Australian Institute of Building Surveyors. And mm. I'm, I'm quite constantly being asked to go interstate and to speak to building surveyors and building safety experts interstate. And also we undertake matters for them and other bodies in, in different states and territories. So what started off as being a very South Australian focused practice has actually expanded over the years to take us into other states and territories. So something that's been really wonderful to experience, but definitely the sky's the limit. And you sort of think working for local government bodies, you know, okay, we're, we're, we're in our home state and we're not going to venture any further, but it's not been the case. Mm. And it just shows the power really of, of doing work that you love and not being restricted just to South Australia, but having that national reach. Mm. So on the flip side, what's been the most challenging part of your career to date? I think it's a personal issue. And I think a lot of professionals experience this. It's this concept of the imposter syndrome. Yes. And I think a lot of, it's not, there have been a lot of articles I've read that have said it's more of a female attribute than a male attribute, but I think it's really anybody that is a high achiever that, you know, and, and I think the reality is to to finish a law degree successfully, everybody who does that is a high achiever, no matter what you think mm, of yourself. Mm. It's, it's a difficult degree. It's a long degree and it's a, it's a huge achievement to get through. And you, you come out and you, I think for the first couple of years, as a lot of people recognise, being a practising lawyer, you, you're doing an apprenticeship at that yes, stage. It's yes. how I like to compare it to. You know, you come out with your restricted practising certificate. Yes. But really for the first, you know, few years, you're finding your feet and you'll get a mentor, hopefully, that's interested in building your skills and, mm. you know, there's usually a commercial interest in doing that on top. And that's um, been an important part of your career journey. Really has, mm. really mm. has. But also I think what, what's hard to get past is this second-guessing yes. decisions. And I think that's something that for a lot of people takes many, many years before you gain the confidence to go, you know what, I'm not even going to second-guess that. I know what I'm doing. And for some people, I think it's easier to get over than others, but you do question yourself, especially I think for the first five or so years of practice mm. is you constantly, you know, you send send an email off to a partner to get settled and you go, oh, was that the right strategy or did I, did I make the right advice? And I think a lot of people get very anxious about being wrong. And mm. I guess it's, when you finish law and you go out and work, even if you, if you, regardless of whether you're practicing or not, you never stop learning, mm. and that can be quite a challenging thing to face. And because you don't know the answer, it doesn't mean that you're deficient or your knowledge is deficient or you're no good. It actually reflects the fact that the law is constantly changing, and. If you're dealing with clients like we do who are, you know, very sophisticated users of the legal profession, they repeat clients, frequent flyers, yes. they don't come to us for straightforward answers and straightforward questions. They give us the really complex work. So sometimes there might not be an entirely clear answer. Mm. We can give them guidance and say, look, the matter is finely balanced, but here's our recommendation. 
but there might not be a case law precedent to point to. There might not be a clear and express provision of an act or, or a regulation to point to. You actually have to make a call. And part of that's learning, part of that's, and part of that's getting that confidence. And a lot and of people. And being comfortable with uncertainty. And being too. comfortable with uncertainty. Mm. And it's a challenge. And for a lot of people, sometimes it's, it's too much of a challenge. You know, sometimes it, it, they, they feel that because they didn't know or they've gone out on a limb, they've made a call that they must be deficient in their own skills and knowledge. But it's, it's the reality of practice mm. is we, you know, we, we are paid to give that advice in very uncertain situations. So, mm. yeah, that, that's been a personal challenge. And oh, one, that's so interesting. Yeah, so interesting. yeah. And one that, you know, with the lawyers, uh, graduate lawyers and junior lawyers I'm working with, I'm constantly saying, you know, sometimes I don't know the answer. And what a great place yeah. to be to, <laughs> to, to understand that, that that's okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we can press through it. So I'm sure that you do this regularly, but I want to ask, what are you looking at as you scan the horizon and what are you noticing in adjacent lanes to the to the lane that you're playing in? Is there anything that's that's jumping out at you? You're thinking, oh, we're going to have to watch this or, you know, things for the future that you're, you're aware of that you're taking into account now? In a lot of the legislative, legislative space that we're working in, there's just constant reform. So probably the legislation I'm working under the most is the Planning, Development and Infrastructure Act that came into full operation last year and it's already under review. Mm. So we're just in a constant state of flux in this state when it comes to development. Hopefully this time we won't get a new, an entirely new act, yes. but it, it, the review scope is broad. So, so there's constant change and managing constant, constant change. change. Yeah, and, and throughout last year and coming into this year and even going into 2023, the Local Government Act is, um, is being changed. It's being, it went through a, a high level of reform and refinement. So we're, we're not going to see the end of that process till next year, until after the current election period has ended and the new elected bodies are, are, are settled down. Mm. So yeah, I, I guess working primarily in a legislative space, it just keeps changing. Mm. So we might be working with an entirely new act or there might be a lot of changes to delegated legislation. So the codes and policies that are applied, my personal experience under the Planning Development and Infrastructure Act, we have the Planning and Design Code. There have been gazetted changes to that code at least one per month since it came into operation. So that circles right back to that. It's constant learning, isn't it? And constant a learning. lifelong learning as a lawyer. It really is. Mm. And I think that's probably, if I can get one message across for anyone that's interested in studying law or studying law, is that embrace it. Yeah. Getting your degree does not mean the end of learning. And in fact, constant learning, I think, is, is the most amazing thing about our profession. You never, you never know it all. So let me take you right back to that Victoria who was about to start her law studies. And if you look back at that Victoria, what three quick, brief tips would you give her? I think, first of all, embrace the discomfort. I think, Tanya, you said before, you know, embrace the uncertainty. So, you know, there will be a lot of challenges in your study and a lot of new ways of learning and also a lot of new concepts to apply, which I think as a as I was a, a, a young adult, you've never encountered it before. And it's, it's, a, it's a style of learning which puts a lot more in, um, responsibility and independence on you. Mm-hmm. So you've mm-hmm. got to do it. 
you're not going to have anyone checking up on you, but also embrace that because it's 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 a new stage in life and it's one that if you do embrace it, it's going to serve you well for your future career. I think secondly, be have an open mind to career opportunities. So the world changes, the law changes, opportunities change. You might have your sights set on a particular area of the law or you might want to move to Sydney and do something in particular, but I don't, you can't control the opportunities that are out there. So I think if you cast your net broad and are open to the opportunities that present themselves, you will find your niche and you'll mm. find your career path. And sometimes people's careers don't go on the path that they expect. They're not, it's, you know. Uh, no, it's not linear. <laughs> it's it's not linear. The oh, yeah. And I've seen some great memes about this, but life is not linear. You know, what you can do when you're studying is you can learn as much as you can, meet as many people as you can, find out what's out there for you. But really, a lot is out of your control. So, you know, for anyone that finishes and, and, you know, might take some time to find their career, that's not a bad thing, Mm. you know. Mm. it's, it's And it's usually matters outside of your control. So definitely, you know, have an open mind. Yep. And if your career goal, for instance, is to be a criminal barrister, you know, sign the bar role and that's yep. what I want to do, you might find that your initial, you know, job is complete, something completely different. But those skills and that learning, that doesn't mean you're cut off from your dreams. It just might mean that you start off at one point and you, you know, find a way to move to what you want to do. And conversely, if you end up where you don't expect to, it might be the best thing that ever happened to you. Thank you so much, Victoria, for coming in today and talking to me about where your career has taken you. It's given us some great insights into a particularly niche area of the law, uh, the work that your firm does, and you've shared some great insights too into being that lifelong learner and not just surviving, but thriving and flourishing in legal practice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Expect More of Law, the podcast. If you've been inspired, influenced, informed or entertained, please subscribe to the podcast series. To find out more about Flinders Law, please visit flinders.edu.au slash law.